Scott, why don't you come up and help us review through our disciplines? All right. You got your notebook? Turn to the back side. And we'll get started. Thanks for coming, everybody. Um, it's great. It's really good to be here. Um, it's really important that we do the same thing that we've always done, and that is just examine the disciplines and just remind ourselves again of why we're doing this. Um, and I just want to share with all of you that I'm speaking to myself first and foremost before I share with any of you, because these principles are things that, that I need to embrace just as long, just as well as everybody else here. So, um, why do we discipline our heart first and foremost? Our first discipline is the heart. We discipline our heart because we need truth in our minds. We need truth in our minds so we can inform ourselves about how we interact with others and how we interact in our home, how we interact in our church. So when we meet together with God, when we shepherd our hearts, we're learning something very important. We're learning what God says about us and what God says about himself, what God says about the gospel that needs to be believed, what God says about how people are saved and what God says about how people grow in righteousness and in sanctification. It's so important that we review that every day, that we're feeding our mind with truth, because that is what enables us to step well into the second discipline, which is our home. So whether we're married and we have a wife, or whether we're a father and we have children, or whether we're a roommate and we have other roommates, We need truth in our mind and our heart that counsels us on how to interact with one another. And when we have a right understanding of ourselves and who we are before God and saved by his grace, we know how best to interact with our wives and our children and our roommates and our friends. We know how best to open our home to others. We know how to present our home as a place where people can come and find hospitality and can find comfort. We're most equipped to do that when we've shepherded our hearts with God's word. We've shared every week that when we shepherd our own hearts and when we shepherd our families, we shepherd our homes, we shepherd our spouses and our kids, and we're interacting well with our roommates, it's then that we're ready to step into ministry with other people. It's then that we can bring the fruit of our own heart shepherding into a context with other people in this church where we serve. Whether it's in Next Generation Ministries or whether it's in the Set Up and Tear Down team, whether it's on the worship team or anything else, we're only ready to serve there when we've shepherded our heart and we're coming from a home that's functioning well. That's how we represent the gospel well. I just want to share with you that I've seen in my own life the fruit of not doing that, stepping into ministry when my heart has not been well shepherded. My words are, are hard. My words are not compassionate, they're not kind, they're not spoken to a brother, they're spoken to a point. And we want to make sure that we stay away from that because the fruit of that is bitter and it's hard. It doesn't draw brothers together and it doesn't bring brothers together. And You find yourself saying things that you regret, you find yourself speaking out of principle and not to somebody's heart. And So you want to make sure that you're always shepherding your own heart well because it feeds very quickly into your home and it feeds very quickly into whatever ministry the Lord gives you. So make sure you do that. Make sure you continue to do that. And the wonderful thing is that as you do shepherd your heart with God's word, as you spend good time looking at his word, spend good time praying, 
over God's word and praising God and thanking God for who he is in your life, that is when you become a deacon qualified man, which is our fourth discipline. And you look at the disciplines they are itemized for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. When you look at what those qualifications are, it's a man who's not double-tongued. It's a man who's a good manager of his home. It's a man who's not fond of sordid gain. And You can read the rest of the list. You become that kind of man when you shepherd your own heart with the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel and the truth of how a man is sanctified. And um, those are not things you do. Those are things that come forth from the kind of man that you are. We want to make sure that we just keep that in front of everybody, that those are the things that you start seeing in a person who does shepherd their heart well. We want to make sure that we equip men at this church to shepherd their heart well, so that when they interact with God over the reading of his word and the study of his word, that they do so well, that they do so in ways that are increasingly biblical and increasingly sharp and increasingly accurate. That's why we meet here, and that's why we have H3, and that's why we have GBI. So that when we enter into God's word and we open God's word, we can get the most out of it so that we can have the closest walk with Christ possible and we can have the most meaningful marriages, the most biblical marriages. We can be a biblical father and we can be a biblical roommate. So that's why we have H3 and Build and GBI. That's why we have Shepherdology on Thursdays. And it's so that we can be well equipped for the ministry that God gives us that starts in our home. And then lastly, we're here at Grace Bible Church. And this is where this is where we live out our Christian life together primarily. This is where we come together to worship. You guys all know the vision of our church. The vision of our church is we celebrate the glory of God. We celebrate the glory of God as we as we prize the cross of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And we celebrate those two things together as we live out a life that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we live that out in our, our church here. We do that by drawing people in, by building them up with the truth of the word, and, and by sending people out back into their homes, back into their neighborhoods, back into their offices, back into their families. So those are the disciplines that we have. They, they start and they end. The foundation of all of it is, is the way that we care for our own heart, the way that we minister to our own heart, and the way that we spend time together with God. So I just want to encourage you guys praise you guys for the, the time that you do spend in the Word and the time that you do spend in prayer. I've seen firsthand the number of guys that are blessed by their interactions with, with one another. It's working really, really well in, in many, many places. And so continue to do that, and, and our church will become a stronger and stronger church for the gospel. Thank you. So open up to Proverbs 2. But a reminder for you, it just as you think about putting what we're doing here in BUILD together with what we've talked about in regards to the work of the gospel in your life, uh, God's saving and converting work in your life. Uh, what, what you have been made today in Christ, if you turn back and you look to what you were before Christ, you are in a much better condition now than you ever were then because then you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, you were blinded, could not see the truth, were not concerned for God, um, the worst possible ever. What you have been made now is different than that. You can never go back to the slavery to sin that you once knew. Uh, you are a new creature in Christ. Um, 
So just a reminder, as you look back, you are in a much better condition than you ever were then. As you look forward to what is coming, what you are now is nothing compared to what you will be. When Christ comes, when you die, uh, when your life is revealed with Him, uh, you will be in a much better place. As a reminder, before you were in Christ, there was absolutely no reason to shepherd your heart. You didn't even want to. You couldn't. There'd be no reason for you to want to direct your heart, to incline your heart, to watch over your, your inner man. Because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you did not care that your inner man was at war against God. When you die and are with, uh, absent from the body but present with the Lord, there will be absolutely no reason then to incline your heart to Him, to watch over your inner man with all diligence. There will be no reason for you to direct your heart to God because there will be now no more sin present in your condition trying to hold you back. So shepherding your heart, what we talk about here, in terms of making sure we're coming to the Bible with a, in the right way, and then also throughout the day, making sure that we're bringing the Word of God to bear on our lives, directing our, our hearts with the Word of God, it only makes sense now for the believer, for you, right? So that's what we're doing. We're trying to develop that discipline together of shepherding our hearts, okay? So now we're going to jump into Proverbs. And, and see what God's word in Proverbs has to say to us. And as usual, before we look at God's word, let's, uh, let's pray again, shall we? You pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for the way that um, no matter how old in Christ we are and how many times we've read it, it, is, it never grows boring or dull. There's always another nugget of timeless wisdom from you there that um, seems to be crying out for greater place, greater prominence in my life. And I pray, Lord, that you would grow us more this morning with your word, that you would um, help us to become better shepherds of our hearts, our inner man, with your word, with these Proverbs, Lord. Draw near to us. Help us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 2, verse... I'm sorry, I said Proverbs 2. Proverbs 1, verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. Look at verse 20. In the street. I'm going to not read the verse to you, but I'm going to point out some things in the verse, and then we'll read it. In the street, and I'm using NAS, so I don't know what the ESV does, um, or another verse, or version. In the square, verse 20... Verse 21, at the head of the noisy streets, at the entrance of the gates in the city. Now, if you put yourself back in their time, those would be the most populated, densely filled, busy places that they would know, right? Uh, Especially the entrance of a gate into a city, that's where all of the wise men would sit, right? And that's where business would be done. Uh, if you needed to go buy land from somebody, uh, you went there and you found him and you did it in front of everybody. Uh, that's the place where you want to be. Um, so, now what, what's happening here? Look at verse 20. Wisdom shouts there. In those places. Wisdom. God's wisdom 
isn't whispering there. In all of the noise of life and the busyness of life, wisdom is there making its own noise. Here I am. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out, shouting, lifting her voice, crying out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. What is she saying? How long? Oh, naive ones. Will you love being that way? Will you love being simple-minded? Scoffers and why will you how long will you keep delighting yourselves in scoffing? Fools, how long will you keep hating knowledge? Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you, says wisdom. I will make my words known to you. You know what I love about this? The world would say the wise people are the ones who have withdrawn from the world and gone up to some spiritual mountain, some recluse kind of place, thought about things and contemplated and done some yoga, and they're the ones who are wise. God says His wisdom is already where everybody is. And right there in the midst, God's wisdom has invaded your busy day, my busy day, the busyness of life that we get so distracted by. And wisdom is not there whispering. God's wisdom is there shouting at us, crying out, Here I am. I love that about God. God is so kind to you and me and my busyness of life, our busyness of life. His wisdom has invaded our life and is crying out to us. That just sets the tone for everything for me with this. God, you, you guys, you can, um, you can rejoice that God is this kind of a gracious and kind and merciful God who would come right to where you are and scream at you with his wisdom. Wow. I feel like we should pray again. Um, but let's press on. What I've done for you here, I'm going to give you a whole bunch today. This should probably be broken down into about two, maybe three different lessons, but we'll do the best we can. Um, we're just going to look and see what God's Word says about the heart, okay, from the book of Proverbs. Um, number one, God's wisdom tells us that the human heart is a spiritual cesspool of sin. How do you know that? Because of this. I'm going to give you several different passages here, and you can see the key words there. These are the companions of the heart in Proverbs. Perversity. Wickedness. Pride. Deceit, violence, unfaithfulness, and abomination. All of those words, and many more, are associated with the heart in Proverbs. Um, These are the characteristics of the heart in Proverbs. Characteristics that are associated with the heart. In other words, when you go on a look through Proverbs, and I encourage you to do this, look for every place that the word heart occurs. Circle it. And then as you do that, put your finger on the word heart and then look around it. You're going to find these words. Okay? These are the words. When you find the heart of man in Proverbs, what else are you going to find there? You're going to find perversity. When you find the heart, what else are you going to find? You're going to find wickedness. When you find the heart in Proverbs, you're going to find pride. When you find the heart in Proverbs, you're going to find deceit, and then violence, and then unfaithfulness, and abomination. Let's look at Proverbs 6, verse 14. We'll just do this quick. Be ready to turn with me. Um, A worthless person mentioned, a wicked man back in verse 12, is one who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. You see, perversity is in the heart. Chapter 11, verse 20. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord. 
But the blameless in their walk are his delight. Perverse in heart. Chapter 12, verse 8. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. And that's the word for heart there in Hebrew. Uh, Chapter 23, verse 33. And there's many more of these, by the way. Uh, Verse 33. Talking about the one who has woe and who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes. It's the drunk. What does he say about the drunk and what alcohol will do? Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. Your heart will have perversity coming out of it. What is perversity? It's spiritual twistedness. It's a twisting off spiritually away from what is the truth. It is a bent condition. Um, It is an irritated, twisted off spiritual condition. That's what it means. Uh, you'll find wickedness associated with the heart. Go back to Proverbs 6. Here's wickedness in the heart. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. That's one of the seven things that God hates. Um, a heart that devises wicked plans. Look at chapter 10, verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Chapter 26, verse 23, the same thing. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. Um, Like you would have just this clay pot and then you would overlay it with silver. It looks really good on the outside, but it's just clay and dirt on the inside of it. Um... That's the illustration he uses. He says it's, it's the same thing as somebody who has burning lips. And what he, I think, means by that is someone who just speaks passionately. Maybe even sounds really good religiously. But on the inside is a wicked heart. Um, wickedness is associated with the heart. How about pride? Uh, pride uh, Proverbs 16, verse 5. Pride is in the heart. See if you notice something in common here with what goes along with pride. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. How about Proverbs 18.12 Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. these verses are so helpful. If, if you see a man in spiritual destruction, you don't have to hit rewind to figure out how he got there. Because you know. What happened right before the destruction? Pride. Haughtiness. Um, how about 18... What was 18.12? How about 21.4? Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked... Is sin. Uh, you find arrogance right before destruction. Right before destruction. Deceit is in the heart. Go to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who do evil, but counselors of peace have joy. And then Proverbs 26, 24. 26:24 He who hates disguises it with his lips but he lays up deceit in his heart. 
The word for deceit here uh, means trickery or fraud. He's a fraud. He's fraudulent in his heart. Violence is in the heart. Chapter 24, verse 2. Starting at verse, verse 1, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds or their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. Unfaithfulness. You see this in the harlot. Look at chapter 7, verse 10. Chapter 7, verse 10. You know this very sad story, a very descriptive story of a young man lacking sense getting in a path that he should never have gotten into the path. He took the, the way to her house. Verse 9, In the twilight, in the evening, he did it. In the middle of the night and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. That means she's sly of heart. She is wily in the heart. Um, she's snake-like in the heart. And then, worst of all, is just the word abomination is associated with the heart. Abomination. Go back to Proverbs 11, verse 20. Proverbs 11, verse 20. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord. The word abomination means an abhorrence to God. God abhors this one. Um, So imagine God being absolutely imagine God abhorring something and what he's abhorring is your inner man there's not a stronger word for it than abomination Uh, look at chapter 16 verse 5 we saw this one as well everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord you don't have to wonder how God feels about pride you know how he feels about it he has the strongest feelings at all possible for it He will not let that one go unpunished. Chapter 16, verse 5. Chapter 26. Twenty-six, verse 24. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. We saw that. Verse 25. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Why did he say seven? Huh? Yeah, it's seven was a word that you could use, or a number you could pick that was kind of symbolic of, there's, there's quite a few, and it also is kind of a number of fullness. Uh, the number three works that way too, oftentimes in scripture. Uh, but but seven, he, he just means there's, there's abomination everywhere in this heart. Um, not not there because this one's tied in. He used that number there. That's another example. But he, he just because he's mentioning seven here doesn't mean that he's tying it back to that. He just means this guy is full of abomination. Um, one of the, the best commentary on Proverbs is one that, I don't know if, you, if you've been able to find it, but if you're interested in getting a commentary on Proverbs, um, the guy's last name is Lawson, and it's not Steve Lawson, okay? So those of you who are Steve Lawson, like groupies, just settle down. It's okay. Um, I, I say that because we have some of those here in our church. So um, anyway, uh, but he's like an, uh, an old Puritan guy, and 
his commentary is, there's only two commentaries that I know on Proverbs, and this doesn't say much. I'm not trying to say that there's only two in the world. I only know of two commentaries that actually deal with every single verse in Proverbs. Most commentaries are written and they, they say something in general about Proverbs and then they'll pick four or five chapters and write them on a theme. The theme of foolishness, the theme of wisdom, the theme of pride or whatever, and they'll write a chapter on that. But there are two commentaries that I know that actually take every single verse and, and treat it. And Lawson's is the best. It's put out by Kregel Publications, K-R-E-G-E-L. Um, by far, I think it's the best commentary. Very warm, very pastoral, really insightful. He says this about verse 24 and 25. I, I want to read it again so you, you got it. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he's laying up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. This is what Lawson says. He is not like the dog that barks before it bites. Otherwise, you might stand to your own defense. But he is a dog who fawns upon you. And when you are never dreaming of it, he falls upon you and inflicts an unexpected and dangerous wound. Solomon warns you that Your safety lies in refusing to trust him even when he makes the largest professions of friendship. That's abominable to God. All right, so these are the words that are associated with the heart. Perversity, wickedness, pride, deceit, violence. The the heart is a spiritual cesspool, um, according to Proverbs. Now, number two. This is the good stuff. Christ and him crucified is the climax of of God's wisdom for foolish sinners like me and you. Okay? You can't just look at wisdom in Proverbs and stay there. You've got to go forward in your Bible. So I want you to go to Luke 11, verse 29, and, and we'll be there in just a second. But I, I, wanna, I want you to understand this, the connection between Proverbs and Jesus. Okay? So get ready for Proverbs 11, or I'm sorry, Luke 11, 29. Look, notice here's what God did. You're going to see this in just a moment. God began putting his wisdom in the world on display. He began primarily by depositing it, some of it, in a flawed king named Solomon. Solomon has collected all of these Proverbs, wrote thousands more Proverbs that aren't even recorded here probably. And God began with a flawed king and he gave that flawed king a dose, an injection of his wisdom. But what we find out as we get to the New Testament is God's plan all along was that actually he himself, God himself, in all of his wisdom, would take on flesh in his son. And his son would be the flawless king displaying all of God's wisdom at the cross and then in the church. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful to think about. But just know that there's a, there's a progression. And, and God often does this with your Bible. You'll see a glimpse of something in your Old Testament and then God just amplifies it. He brings it to a massive climax in Jesus, right? And that's what he's doing in wisdom. We start, we read from left to right, and we see, oh, there's this king, and man, look at this book of wisdom. There's 30 chapters. It's amazing. And we get all impressed with that. And what I want you to think about, though, is that's nothing. That's nothing compared to what we see here. Look what Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 29. 
as the crowds were increasing, he began to say to them, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. What do you mean by that? What's the sign in Jonah? For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now watch what he says in verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them. Why? Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, Jesus says, something greater than Solomon is here. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. Something greater than Solomon is here. She came from the ends of the earth in her day because she knew this man was wise and she went home stunned. And she will rise up at the day of judgment and she will condemn the generation of Jews because something greater than Solomon came to them. It's Jesus. There's one much, much wiser. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Verse 2. Paul wants their hearts to be encouraged. Verse 2. Having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. Now, notice how he describes Christ in verse 3. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God could never say that and never did say that about Solomon. All of the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus. Right? Go to 1 Corinthians 1. I encourage you, read 1 Corinthians 1, 18 all the way through the end of chapter 2 sometime today uh, as you think about... God's wisdom, but you you see here, God God puts the 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 foolishness of God um, in opposition to the wisdom of men. Obviously, he's speaking tongue in cheek. It's just the other way around. But men, as fools, think they are wise, and they think God's a fool. And so God, Paul says, "Oh, fine, I'll, I'll use that language." Well, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, and he says the the wisdom of God is actually Christ crucified. Right? Notice particularly verse 30. But by His doing, God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. There's conversion, there's salvation. Now notice what he says about Jesus. Jesus became to us wisdom from God. Solomon did not become to Israel wisdom from God. But Christ became wisdom to us from God. We haven't been given an injection or a dose of God's wisdom. We have the one who is the fullness of all the treasure of God's wisdom, and he is for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? So just that, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, so that nobody would ever boast that I'm wise. I'm, I'm wise on my own. One more passage, Ephesians 3. Paul was given, verse 8. I didn't write this one down, so if you want to write it down on your number 2 there, Ephesians 3, 8 to 10. 
Ephesians 3, 8 to 10. So let me ask you, I'll ask you a preliminary question right now. As you're reading Proverbs, and by the way, they're, they're timeless. Wisdom, it's timeless wisdom. It, it's not bound to any uniquely period of time like it, it's gone. But, but can you, do you want to think of Solomon's wisdom without the wisdom of Christ and the cross? You, you don't want to let there be this wall that's built up in your mind that you only live on this side of your Bible where there's wisdom in Solomon and not get over to Jesus. You need to be thinking about the wisdom of God and the cross the power that is in the gospel to live out a wise life. Notice what God is doing now with his wisdom. Verse 8, Paul says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul received grace so that he would be a proclaimer of the great riches of Christ to the Gentiles. And, verse 9, he was also given that grace to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages had been hidden in God who created all things. That's the church. You can go back up and read in, in verses 3 and following uh, that, that it's all about the church. So grace was given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and then grace was given to me so that I might administrate or put them in order as a church. Jew and Greek together, believers in Messiah. I put them together. Now why? Why did God give him the grace to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and then to administrate the church, to order it, to structure it, to teach it how to live out together? Verse 10 so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. Where is God putting his display of wisdom? Uh, where is his wisdom being put on display? Through the church. Where is it being put on display? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. There is something going on in heaven over these little messy things here on earth called church. There's something going on in heaven that you and I can't see. The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places are saying to God, My goodness, how wise, how wise you are, God. You have manifold wisdom. A wisdom that's like a diamond. You turn it just a, a, a fraction of a turn and there's a whole new sparkling brilliance that comes and then you rotate it another way and it's just manifold wisdom from God no matter which way you turn it God is putting his manifold wisdom on display so understand this God in the beginning gave a flawed king a dose of his wisdom and he wrote a whole book on it but then God in all of his own wisdom inexhaustible wisdom that, that manifold wisdom of God he took on flesh and he is the flawless king. And that one went to the cross and broke down every part and kind of wisdom that man could come up with. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified, that he would die for you and me and bear away our foolishness from him. That is the wisdom of God. And that king, that Christ, becomes to us wisdom from God. Something greater than Solomon has come. And now, after the cross... His wisdom is on display through the church and you and I need to be wise people because God's wisdom is on display. So, go to Proverbs. Timeless wisdom. But remember that you can't even begin to appreciate what's going on in Solomon's day apart from Jesus Christ and what he did as God's wisdom in suffering for you 
and apart from being in the church where God is putting his wisdom on display. None of this, noting the climax of, of God's wisdom, none of this should make you look down on Solomon's wisdom. You should not look down on Solomon's wisdom like, oh, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that because something better's come. It should never bring any of that. This is timeless wisdom from God. Rather, what you do is you bring Solomon's wisdom into the gospel into the power of the cross of Jesus Christ in the church life together that you live together in the church. Whatever you gain, whatever wisdom you gain from Solomon and Proverbs, run to Jesus in the gospel because something in his death is here that's greater than Solomon. And when you think of how wise one of Solomon's Proverbs is, meditate on um, the fullness of wisdom that it points to in the death of Jesus for fools like us. When you consider applying one of Solomon's timeless, wise Proverbs. Worship Christ who lived out that wisdom himself perfectly in ways that Solomon never could. When you consider where you will find the strength to live out that wisdom, that timeless wisdom from Solomon, remember that you get it from the power of God in the gospel to live it out. Okay? So Christ and him crucified is the climax of God's wisdom for foolish sinners like me and you. Number three. God's wisdom tells us that the heart is easily discerned by God. Go back to Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 15, verse 11. Proverbs 15, verse 11. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men... Sheol and Abaddon are Hebrew way of, of speaking to the grave. Uh, oftentimes without any reference about where that soul goes, heaven, hell, just the place of the departed, just the grave. Okay. Now, there are some people, there's a few people, who think that they have crossed over into that veil and seen something of it and come back and they write a book. But in general, the grave to those of us who are living is shielded, and I'm giving no credence to any of that, okay? Some, there's a few people who think that they've done that. Um, Lazarus didn't even write a book on it. Maybe we should learn something from that. Anyway, the, the veil is drawn at the grave, right? And we can't see past it. We don't know what it's like. We have some ideas from God's word, of course, and we have assurance and all of that. But in terms of just mankind, that's a mystery to him. What's on the other side? To God, it is not. It lies wide open to him. He sees it. As easily as he sees life. How much more so the hearts of man. The heart of man, your inner man, lies wide open to God, Proverbs says. Romans 2.16, God, on the day that he is appointed according to the gospel, will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. There are no secrets with him. God sees the inner man without anything obscuring his sight. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 3. Watch this. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. The inner man is where God comes to meet us and he comes to meet us there in order to test us, to refine us so that we can uh, have revealed to us what the condition of our heart truly is in his sight. So he tests us at the inner man level. Um, How about Proverbs 21, verse 2? 
Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. In chapter 24, verse 11 and 12. Deliver those who are being taken away to death. And deliver those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Now, if you say, see, we didn't know this was happening. Does he not consider it who weighs the heart? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? God weighs the hearts. Um, man is busy flattering himself while that all of his ways are right, but God is the one who's just sitting there weighing the heart and weighing the motive. Lawson says this, God ponders our hearts and he knows with certainty how far we act from a careless and selfish spirit in Proverbs 24. When we neglect to be charitable to the ones who are distressed. But, you know, he says God weighs the heart, but he also says God keeps the soul. He keeps the soul. So think about this. God is the keeper of our souls. Therefore, we need not be afraid to ask our, um, to risk our lives in obedience to his will. You may look at a situation and go, I, I don't think I can invest myself all the way that I need to, to to help whatever that situation needs, to provide the help whatever it needs. No, God keeps your soul. Not only is he weighing your heart to see if you're going to, he keeps your soul. You can risk your life. He keeps it. There's nothing to be afraid of. God weighs the heart. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So understand this. God sees the heart clearly. And God tests the heart, and he weighs the heart, and then he does this with kings. He turns that heart wherever he wants. Even the heart of a president, he can turn the heart wherever he wants. He can turn it. So not only does he see clearly the heart, not only does he test it, not only does he weigh it, he can easily direct that inner man according to his own will, wherever his hand wishes to go. Now, let's think in the New Testament about this. Go to Acts 15. In, in regards to saving a, a Gentile or a Jew, anybody, we saw this last week, Acts 15, verse 8, God is the one who knows the hearts, or knows the heart. And he testified to those Gentiles giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us Jews, Peter says. And he made no distinction between those Gentiles and us, cleansing their hearts by faith. God sees the heart without any trouble, and he knows what the heart needs. It needs to be cleansed. And he knows what cleansing agent will work. It is faith by grace alone. Okay, By faith alone, by grace alone. God knows and sees the heart, and he can get it to where it needs to be. And then, of course, we have Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, in verse 13. Turn there, please. I want you to see this. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, and both joints and marrow, and it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That is so helpful for you because you cannot discern your own heart on your own. 
You need help discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart and God has given you a tool to do that. What's the tool He's given to you to help you discern your thoughts and your intentions that are in your heart? It's the Word of God. It's living, it's active, and it's sharp to do its job. Now look at verse 13. Why do you need to be concerned about this? Why do you need to give thought to every thought and intention of your heart right now? Uh, There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You're going to have to give an account for your life, and He sees everything. And praise God that He sees the heart, He knows the heart, He cleanses it by faith. And then he gives you, in that faith, in that life of faith with him, he gives you his word so that you can discern the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. Um, that's, that's good news. The heart is easily discerned by God. Number four, God's wisdom makes it clear that you are responsible for the condition of your heart. Go back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. It is your responsibility to take care of your heart. Watch these commands. Three different commands here. Proverbs 2, verse 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Now, I'm very concrete, so I think of an actual incline. Imagine you got your Bible sitting here, and there's a big board right here, and on it over here you, you put your inner man. What does it mean to incline your inner man to that. Lift it up. What happens to whatever's on here? It more easily is inclined to it. And whose responsibility is that? It's yours. Incline your inner man. Do not sit there and go, my heart feels cold, so I'm not going to read my Bible. Hello? Join the club of the cold-hearted knuckleheads That's all of us. What do you do? You incline your heart. You can do that by the grace of God. Get your heart in a condition where it is more inclined to the Word of God. Um, Incline your heart to understanding. There's one command. Look at chapter 4, verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart. It's a, it's a fountain, and there's still some corruption in it. You better watch it carefully. Third command, Proverbs twenty three nineteen. It's a parent of little kids who aren't so little anymore. Whenever I hear twenty three nineteen, I always think of. Uh, Monsters Incorporated. Remember the yellow guys? 2319! 23, 23, 19. You don't remember. Do you know? You got it? I'm sorry I put that image in your mind. Now every time you come across Numbers 2319, Proverbs 2319, you might think of that. Listen, my son, Proverbs 2319. <laughs> it sounds different now, doesn't it? Yeah. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Direct your heart in the way. All right, so here's your three commands. You incline your heart, you watch over your heart, and you direct your heart. Those are all commands given to you, not to your mom, to you, to me, right? That's my responsibility, it's your responsibility. All right, so how do we incline them? How do we direct them? How do we watch over them?
Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Here's, how you, here's what you do. You want to help your heart? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart and God's commandments come close together. Proverbs 3, verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Do you want to incline your heart towards understanding? Do you want to incline your heart towards God? Write God's word on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 7, verse 3 says the same thing. All right, so you want to... Help your heart be inclined. You put God's word upon it. What's going to happen if you do not incline your heart to the Lord? What will happen if you don't direct your heart in the way that it should go? What happens if you don't watch over your heart? Go to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. Proverbs 5, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, speaking of the adulteress again. And do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one, and strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien, and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say then, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. That is the confession of a wretched man who is still not repentant. Okay? Uh, Here's what Lawson says. The confession of the wretch tortured by his conscience is not introduced by uh, by Solomon as the humble confession of a penitent. He's like Simon Magus in the the New Testament in Acts. Remember the magician in Samaria that Philip... Uh, who believed when Philip was there preaching. Uh, He looked like he was a believer. And at the end, uh, he's called to repentance. He's called to pray to God, to ask God to forgive the intention of his heart. And he goes, you pray. Simon wasn't repentant, and neither is this guy. He's just acknowledging, my heart spurned reproof. Can you imagine, guys, you need to picture yourself in a day that if you would neglect your heart and you do nothing with your inner man, that you could reach a day where you would recognize I have spurned reproof and yet be unteachable and unrepentant in that. That is a very scary place to end up. Fight today to not get another step closer to that. Proverbs 28.14 Look at that one. Proverbs 28.14 How blessed is the man who fears always. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. What will happen if you neglect your heart? The minute you do not incline your heart, when you do not watch over your heart, when you do not direct your heart, you are actually hardening your heart. And calamity is on its way. Just remind you again of Hebrews 4.12. What's your great hope against hardening your heart? Um, Using God's word. Right? Using God's word. Number five. Some motivations for you for pursuing God's word. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10. Here's good news. Solomon tells his son, like back in verse 4, 
if you'll seek wisdom and understanding and discernment like silver, search for her like hidden treasures, then you'll discern the fear of the Lord. The Lord gives wisdom. Look down at verse 10. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Listen, guys, here's motivation. Notice, first of all, wisdom indeed can enter your heart. Wisdom can enter your heart. In pursuing God's wisdom, guys, it will take up residency in your heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, in that same section. Proverbs 10, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. The wise of heart will receive commands. Listen, wisdom can enter your heart, and once you are wise of heart, guess what kind of man you will be? A teachable man. You will receive commands. You can be instructed. Guys, here's motivation. Do you want to be a teachable man? Do you want to be a man who receives commands from others, from God's word, as they direct you to God's word? Then let wisdom enter into your heart. Proverbs 16.21. Watch this. Proverbs 16.21. The wise in heart will be called understanding. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Um, Here's motivation. You'll be called understanding. And by the way, that is not some sappy, sentimental thing. Oh, he's so understanding. that's That's not what he means. That's what we mean. That's not what he means. It means the idea of like being prudent, being having discernment. You will be known, you will be called understanding. That guy understands what I'm in, what day we're in. Proverbs 14, verse 33. Wisdom rests in the heart of one who has understanding, but in the hearts of fools it is made known. Wisdom rests in the heart of the one who has understanding. The guy who is understood to be an understanding guy, a guy who understands whatever situation is before him, that's the one who has wisdom in his heart. What's the motivation? You will increase your ability to understand whatever it is you're in, whatever somebody else is in, if you have God's understanding, if you have God's wisdom. Let's go to Proverbs 16, verse 23. 1623. You want another motivation? The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Here's great motivation to pursue God's wisdom. You will have a greater control over your mouth and your words. And you'll be able to use your mouth in such a way so that it will have more persuasiveness you'll be a greater blessing to others. So pursue God's wisdom. Another motivation, Proverbs 23, verse 15. Proverbs 23, verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad. And my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Listen, for those of you who are younger, you want to be a blessing to your parents? You want your parents to be blessed? Here's a motivation to pursue God's wisdom. If you have wisdom in your heart, you will bless your parents. You bless your parents. A reminder from the New Testament, go to Matthew 7. Here's another motivation. 
Remember the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. Here's motivation to pursue wisdom. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, that's a pretty bold thing for Jesus to say. You hear my words and you act on them, I'm a, you're a wise man. It's almost like he knows something greater than Solomon has come, right? And the rain fell, verse 25, and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rocks. There's some serious adversity against that, that house, right? Rain, floods, winds, and they slammed against the house. But it didn't fall because it had a solid foundation. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built a house on the sand. So Jesus right here puts a dividing line in the sand and he says, um, the words you listen to that matter are mine. And how you respond to them determines whether you are wise or whether you are a fool. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house. Same exact adversity, but it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus finished these words, the crowd, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. What did the crowd say? He teaches as one having authority. Did people know that he was doing something with his words that was big and bigger than anybody else had done? Yeah, they they knew that there was something climactic here also. No scribe could teach that way, would even dare to teach that way. Guys, here's your hope, here's your motivation. Pursue the wisdom of God in Jesus, in his words. Because then your life has a solid foundation so that when all of the adversities of life hit your life, you don't crumble. That's a good motivation to pursue God's wisdom. Number six, God's wisdom tells us that fighting against sexual sin must include the heart. Go back to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25. If, if one thing happens today, it's that, wow, Proverbs says so much more than I remember it saying and it draws you back into it, that's a good thing, right? Proverbs 6, verse 25, you need to battle sexual sin at the heart level. You can't try to battle it and miss the heart. Proverbs 6, verse 25, Solomon tells his son, let's back up a few verses, um, tie these commandments and the teaching of your mother around your neck, Continually on your heart, verse 21. When you walk about, they'll guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment, by the way, walk, sleep, and be awake. Is that a quiet time? Is he saying when you have your quiet time? No, what is he talking about? At every point of life, these words will do what? They will benefit you. Shepherding your heart does not... And it doesn't, it doesn't merely start when you open your Bible in the morning. And it doesn't end when you close your Bible. Shepherding your heart is when you awake, when you walk through the day, when you, and then when you get ready to sleep. It's a never-ending thing. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, verse 23, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Here it is. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart nor let her capture you with her eyelids. To know that there is a beautiful woman over here, or maybe even an adulteress in pornography, 
And, and to turn your eyes away from it is a good thing, but if, if you do not address what's going on here, you're in big trouble. Right? Do not desire her beauty in the inner man. Proverbs 7.25. Same thing. Please. Well, I, I think every sin does that, right? Yeah, but but there there is something there to that. Um, the the harlotry that the adultery that God is most concerned with is the, the spiritual harlotry. I'm reading through Ezekiel right now. Oh my goodness! The thing he's concerned about the most is the harlotry of Israel that is spiritual. Um, that they turned away from their their covenant making God. Um, so, yeah, all of sin does that, and certainly this does too. Proverbs 7.25, Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. B- before you ever take a physical step towards sexual sin, before you ever take a physical step towards acting on sexual sin, the heart was already in that way. So to say, I'm not going to take a step there, I'm going to pull that step back, but to still not address this, it's just a matter of time before the leg goes out again and you start to take a step towards it. You must battle sexual sin. It must include, the battle for it must include the heart. I, I want to be clear. Don't take a step towards it. Turn it off. Run away from it. But in doing so, don't neglect your inner man. You have to deal with it at the heart level as well. Um, seven and eight, we'll kinda, I kind of want to address together. God's wisdom tells us wise planning, and, and you should probably put a slash between wise planning and decision making. I meant to put a slash between there, these two things together. Wise planning or decision making thinks realistically about your heart. Okay? Go to Proverbs 16, verses 1 to 3. This is so helpful. The plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Our plans are one thing. The answer that comes out is another thing. Our plans are one thing. It belongs to us. The answer of how things turn out belongs to whom? The Lord. That should call you there just to humility in decision making and planning. I've got these plans and I'm the only one who can make the plans. I can't have somebody else make the plans for me. God has given me that at the heart level to make plans. But the answer is from him. Verse 2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. As I plan and as I consider my next step in, in everything that I do, I know this is true. Rarely can I ever see something impure in my plan. You, you know what I'm talking about? You make plans, and if you're going to go tell somebody, if you're going to go tell your wife, or if you're going to go tell your small group leader, you're going to tell your roommate, you're going to tell your parent, you're going to tell your child, man, you're going, and you're sure it is the most flawless plan that anybody has ever thought of. 
There's not an ounce of impurity anywhere in it. Right? All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. But what's the Lord doing the whole time that we think that way? He's weighing the motive. He's weighing the spirit of the man. Verse 3. So what do you do? Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. You just just cast it all upon God. Listen, just because I make a plan and I can't see anything wrong with it doesn't mean I'm guiltless or that it's flawless, right? I love the wisdom of Proverbs because it, it tells me to think realistically about my heart, to think realistically about my inner man when I make decisions. Guys, we need to be far more humbled in our plans that we're making and the ideas that we come up in the ways that we lead our family and the way that others hear us talk about these great plans that we have and the decision-making we go through. Look at verse 9 of chapter 16. The mind of man plans his ways, his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 21.2 Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Same thing. Uh, Turn back to Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. You and I will amass many plans in our hearts. We'll just throw them all up, and they'll stand there like a fortress, but there's one thing that stands. What is it? The Lord's counsel. His counsel stands. Lawson says this, Men's hearts are perpetually filled with projects, and they seldom consider whether these projects are agreeable to the mind of God or not. But the counsel of the Lord revealed in His word shall stand good after all the plans they form. It is vain for men to form any purpose and to think of carrying it into execution without acknowledging the providence of God. Is a waste of time for us to plan without thinking about God. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. A plan in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. I, I like this. Um, don't put yourself as the hero in this. I'm the man of understanding who can draw the plan out of a man because I can see the. Don't put yourself as the hero. Put yourself on the other side. I've got these ideas in my heart and I need a man of understanding to come alongside me and and get it out. Okay? Recognize that as you make plans, you need somebody with understanding, with God's wisdom to help you draw the plan out. Okay? The New Testament says something about this. How about James chapter 4? Turn there with me. James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. Which New Testament epistle is most like Proverbs in the Old Testament? James. Very similar. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and we'll make a profit. That sounds like a great American way kind of plan. Let's go do it, right? Even a good Christian American man can do that, right? Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live 
I love that. If the Lord wills, I'll be alive tomorrow. Let's just start there. I got these great plans, but you know what? I might be dead tomorrow. I have no idea. If I even live, I'll live because the Lord wills. And then we'll also do this or that. You see, what's the difference? What did James do here? Who did he bring into the center of the planet? God, the Lord. He brings them right into the middle of it. Instead of making a plan and making it be sovereign and central and having this massive center of gravity that everything else must fall to, including God, he wipes it all away and says, God is the one who gives life. And you may not even be alive tomorrow. Let's start there. God is God, and if I'm alive, I'll then try this. That's wise. That's very wise, is it not? But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. That's what's going on when we make this plan and with no recourse to God. Arrogance. And all such boasting like that is evil, verse 16. To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Keep that in its context. What's he talking about? You know the right thing to do in planning, but you don't do it? What? Sin. It's sin to plan that way, guys. It's sin. Uh, Number eight, similar to it. God's wisdom will not lead you to think highly of yourself. (laughs) Go back to Proverbs. Proverbs will not lead you ever once to pat yourself on the back and go, you know, I'm a sharp guy. Proverbs 28, verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart, here's the honesty, is a fool. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. You cannot walk wisely and trust in your heart at the same time. Because that's foolish. Walking wisely does not include trusting in your own heart. Proverbs, three. yeah. Uh, it's it's the it's the same word for heart. Um, the 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 word has a range of meaning. There's not a, a, a unique distinction there. Um, the let me give you a good example. Uh, this is a New Testament example. Um, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You, you don't want to get yourself in a, in a kind of thinking that the mind is, is only the thinking side of you and that the heart doesn't do any thinking inwardly. Um, heart has a, a flexibility in it that sometimes you can, the, the translators will want to go towards mind because they may want to accent more of a thinking side of you. Um, but that doesn't mean that it, it's not the heart. It's the inner you. Yeah. Even the word mind is, is another way to refer to you inwardly speaking. And sometimes the translators will, will go with heart and or mind. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You guys know this one, right? How does it go? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? What's the negative? Do not lean on your understanding. Okay, God's wisdom never leads you to think more highly of your own wisdom, your own heart, your own ability to decide. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. There are two incompatible pursuits. Trusting the Lord with all your heart and leaning on your own understanding. Those two things are incompatible according to wisdom. Um, Now, I want to talk about this for a moment. Okay? You are a mixed creature, right? You're a mixed creature. You have thoughts and plans that you make. Are those thoughts and those plans mixed? Absolutely. Which ones? Do you ever have one of them, one plan or one thought that is not influenced by sin? Yeah. Yeah. There'd be two different ways to look at. Let me use this illustration. Let's say I have a pie and I've cut it into four big pieces. Eight pieces. The four would be simple. <laughs> it wouldn't be wise to cut it into four, would it? Eight pieces. Okay. So you got a pie. And I tell you there's poison mixed in the pie. One way of thinking would be, well, I'm going to take this piece over here because it doesn't have any of the poison in it because the poison is just mixed in in the other parts. So there, there, there's a piece of it that has no poison in it. And that might be true. Somebody might have cut it and then injected poison into seven out of the eight pieces, but not one of them, right? It's possible. But that's not what we think about. If somebody sets a pie before you and says that there's poison mixed in with it, you know that pretty much whatever piece you're going to take is going to have some problems with it. We as men need to be careful. I, I hear this sometimes. That when we take the pieces of the decisions that we make and we lay them all out there, we know that we're mixed and flawed men. And we step forward and we make decisions, but sometimes we talk like this one here was pure. There was nothing bad in Oh, I've made other bad decisions. And I've been influenced by sin and other ones, but my heart was pure in this one. And what I want to know is where do you get that from your Bible? I'm not saying that it's empty of righteousness. I'm not saying that there's not good thinking in every decision. There might be good thinking in every decision. But what do, we, what do we know to be true about what kind of men we are? There's not one of them that is completely pure. Who, which man, has a pie that has nothing in it? And no matter what piece you get, it's all pure. You know which guy, right? All the plans and the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts of the ones in heaven right now, only pure all the time. Who never has a piece of the pie that's good? The guy who's who you used to be before Christ, right? So what's the difference? Does that mean now you can never make a right decision? You can never make a decision that's pleasing to the Lord? No, you can It just means that it's also tainted and mixed with what? Sin. Okay? So how does Proverbs make you think about your heart 
the wisdom of God in Scripture make you think about your heart and decision-making, it should just humble us. I've got these ideas, I've got these plans, but I need help to have somebody draw them out of me. And I don't want to think more highly of myself than I ought to. Romans 12, 16, right? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. God's wisdom will not lead you to think more highly of yourself than you should. Let's go to number nine. Your heart is currently marked by wisdom, but which one? That's the question. Let's go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. There's a lot in the book of James on wisdom. He asks in chapter 3, verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show... Show what? Show that he is wise and understanding by his good behavior. Uh, By his good behavior, his deeds. Let him show by his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. In contrast, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from heaven, from above, but is earthly. It is natural wisdom. It is demonic wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. You see, there is an earthly wisdom. There is a natural wisdom. There is a demonic wisdom. And then, verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then that wisdom is peaceable, that wisdom is gentle, that wisdom is reasonable, that wisdom is full of mercy, that wisdom is uh, full of good fruits, that wisdom is unwavering, and that wisdom from heaven above is without hypocrisy. He does not say you are without hypocrisy. He says that wisdom has no hypocrisy in it. And the seed seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there are two wisdoms available to the human race. You, before Christ, were a man of wisdom. And in Christ, you are a man of wisdom, right? It's good for us to say to a group of men like this, which one do you give evidence of? Okay. Lastly, trials expose our great need for God's wisdom. Go to James 1. This is the passage you are very familiar with. Verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How how on earth can a believing man count it all joy when being encircled by various trials? Well, because there's something you know about it. What do you know? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God is testing your faith not so that you fail, not so that you fall flat on your face. He's testing it so that you endure so that you gain endurance. And then, what about endurance? Verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's a way of building up the terms to say so that you're mature, so that you have completeness in Christ, maturity in Christ. But James acknowledges that that is a very difficult situation to be in, so look what he says in verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom in that trial, let him 
ask of God. Is God stingy when you're in a trial? No. God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. If you lack wisdom, ask God. The trial is there to expose your need for God's wisdom and you need it. And so you turn to him. You can also look at Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 on your own. I'll let you look at those. Um, those are two of Paul's prayers that he, he prays for the believers that they would have spiritual wisdom in the knowledge of Jesus. So, there's God's wisdom for your heart from the book of Proverbs and beyond. God, guys, uh, God, guys, guys, God has made his wisdom um, accessible to you. His wisdom is crying out in the busy streets of your life. How kind of him to enter into your busyness. How kind of him to say, hey, you know what? Why don't, why don't you plan differently? Why don't, why don't you put me more at the center of your life? Why don't you just see if I give you life tomorrow first? And then you can do this or that. Just the humbling thing that God's wisdom does in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would make us into wiser men still. Um, Lord, we feel our need when we look into the book of Proverbs. We see that we need you. And um, we need your wisdom. We thank you that Christ has become to us wisdom from God. Thank you for your wisdom at the cross. Uh, You did something that the world would only call foolish. You took on flesh and you died an embarrassing death. But that was your wisdom. So that as fools trust in your wisdom at the cross, you alone would be glorified, that no man would be able to boast. So God, I pray that we would remember your wisdom to us in your Son, the one who is greater than Solomon, the one in whom all treasures of wisdom are held and kept. God, may we cherish him, the one who is wisdom from you. And we ask it in his name. Amen.